...effectively alone on the boundless felt. But the chance of an attack filled me and, I am quite sure, my men with martial ardour, and at last here was the chance I had so often longed for. This was my first show, my first independent command, and I was determined to carry out my orders to the bitter end. I was young and inexperienced, it is true, but I had passed all my examinations with fair success. My men were a good, willing lot, with the traditions of a glorious regiment to uphold, and would, I knew, do all I should require of them. We were also well supplied with ammunition and rations, and had a number of picks, shovels and sandbags, etc., which I confess had been rather forced on me. As I turned towards my gallant little detachment, visions of a bloody and desperate fight crossed my mind, a fight to the last cartridge, and then an appeal to cold steel with ultimate victory and, but a discreet cough at my elbow brought me back to realities and warned me that my colour sergeant was waiting for orders. After a moment's consideration, I decided to pitch my small camp on a spot just south of the drift, because it was slightly rising ground which I knew should be chosen for a camp whenever possible. It was, moreover, quite close to the drift, which was also in its favour, for, as everyone knows, if you are told off to guard anything, you mount a guard quite close to it and place a sentry, if possible, standing on top of it. The place picked out by me also had the river circling round three sides of it in a regular horseshoe bend, which formed a kind of ditch, or, as the book says, a natural obstacle. I was indeed lucky to have such an ideal place close at hand. Nothing could have been more suitable." I came to the conclusion that, as the enemy were not within a hundred miles, there would be no need to place the camp in a state of defence till the following day. Besides, the men were tired after their long trek, and it would be quite as much as they could do comfortably to arrange nice and shipshape all the stores and tools, which had been dumped down anyhow in a heap, pitch the camp, and get their teas before dark. Between you and me, I was really relieved to be able to put off my defensive measures till the morrow, because I was a wee bit puzzled as to what to do. In fact, the more I thought, the more puzzled I grew. The only measures of defence I could recall for the moment were how to tie a thumb or overhand knot, and how long it takes to cut down an apple tree of six inches diameter. Unluckily, neither of these useful facts seemed quite to apply— Now, if they had given me a job, like fighting the Battle of Waterloo or Sedan or Bull Run, I knew all about that, as I had crammed it up and been examined in it too. I also knew how to take up a position for a division, or even an army corps, but the stupid little subaltern's game of the defence of a drift with a small detachment was, curiously enough, most perplexing. I had never really considered such a thing— However, in the light of my habitual dealings with Army Corps, it would no doubt be child's play after a little thought. Having issued my immediate orders accordingly, I decided to explore the neighbourhood, but was for a moment puzzled as to which direction I should take. For, having no horse, I could not possibly get all round before dark. After a little thought, it flashed across my mind that obviously I should go to the north the bulk of the enemy being away to the north, that, of course, must be the front. I knew, naturally, that there must be a front, because in all the schemes I had had to prepare, or the exams I had undergone, there was always a front, or the place where the enemies come from. 
How often also had I not had trouble in getting out of a dull sentry which was his front and what his beat was. The north, then, being my front, the east and west were my flanks, where there might possibly be enemies, and the south was my rear, where naturally there were none. I settled these knotty points to my satisfaction, and off I trudged, with my field-glasses and, of course, my Kodak, directing my steps towards the Dutch farm with gleaming white walls, nestling under the kopje to the northeast. It was quite a snug little farm for South Africa, surrounded by blue gums and fruit-trees. About a quarter of a mile from the farm I was met by the owner, Mr. Andreas Brink, a tame or surrendered Boer farmer, and his two sons, Piet and Gert. Such a nice man, too, with a pleasant face and long beard. He would insist on calling me captain, and as any correct...